to jump into the word of God with you. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, do you want to lead us in that? Okay. Uh, Hope and I have some dear friends that are missionaries of ours in uh, Brazil. And you may have seen the email that went out, the prayer request. But let Hope explain this to you. Um, some of you may remember Philip and Renee Murdoch, dear friends. We've supported them for years. They're personal friends of mine and my mom's. We were on staff with them back in uh, Louisiana. And uh, I hope that I've been down there to visit them and with their kids and been in their home. And uh, they have, they have uh, I think, started like over 300 churches throughout Brazil. And they are great people. And uh, Renee was walking on the beach doing a prayer walk. And a homeless person that's just uh, crazy uh, beat her. Um, and... Uh, so it was on the news, and she's in the hospital right now in critical condition. They've had to take off, like, half, uh, open up half of her skull so the brain can swell. Um, and uh, so they're, they're not expecting her to make it. Uh, but we are. So we want to pray for Renee right now, okay? We're also going to pray for Oliver Tate. I know most of you know Oliver's situation. We're going to pray for both of them right now. Church, let's do what we do best, all right? Father, we lift up Renee to you right now. And... Um, the devil is a bad devil, but you are a good God and full of power. So we lift up a Renee to you. Father, thank you for the doctors. Thank you for the nurses. Thank you for those who, who, who you have given skill to uh, heal. But, Lord, you know they are limited. And so we pray for your supernatural invent, uh, uh, intervention right now into Renee Murdoch's uh, body, into her brain. Father, we pray you stop the bleeding, stop the swelling, and bring her home to her children, God. We pray that you give uh, Philip, his wife, back. Father, we pray that what Satan has meant for evil, that you would turn to good. We need you, God, to invade this situation and do what only you can do, Father. God, we pray for comfort for the family, comfort for the kids, asking how could this happen to our mom. Lord, we can't answer these questions, but you can bring a peace that passes our understanding. So we're asking peace for the Murdoch family, deliverance for the Murdoch family. And Father, turn this thing around and give his church down there, which I've preached in. Give his church such exposure, God. Father, make Satan pay for this. And make that church a powerful church. We pray that as she has healed you, release an anointing of healing and deliverance into that church that they have not had up to this point, God. Increase the measure of your glory and your grace in that, bo in that body. Father, we lift up Oliver Tate to you, Father. We declare his complete wholeness and healing and growth. Father, give him. Uh, cause him to gain weight, Father. Enable him to breathe on his own, God. We pray for, uh, uh, for uh, Jack, uh, Jack, uh, Jackie and Nick. Father, we pray that you would keep their marriage strong. They have publicly asked for prayer for their marriage as they are uh, going through this trial together and the stress it puts on them. Father, we pray from this church for our friends. We pray for your peace to rest on Nick and Jackie. And we pray for both of these situations to be miraculous turnarounds for your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen.
Well, I'm glad I'm preaching on what I'm preaching on today because it, it goes right into the heart of this matter about us knowing the will of God and praying the will of God into situations based on what his word says. I felt impressed this week as I was praying about what to teach. Uh, I just felt impressed that the Lord would have me teach on the importance of God's word. So I just want to jump into it. Let's go to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, verse one. Well, everybody say this out loud with me in the beginning. Say it again in the beginning. So we are this is right at the very start. Can you turn my mic down just a little bit, Rick? This is right at the beginning of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that happens to be where we live right now is in the earth. So we're in his creative order. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then everybody say this. Come on, say it out loud, church. Then God said, this is the first word out of the mouth of God uh, regarding creation. Then God said, let there be light. <laughs> and guess what? There was light. Bam. And God saw the light that was good and God divided the light from the darkness and called the light day and the darkness and called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. God saw disorder and darkness. He saw something that was lacking functionality and beauty. And he brought order and beauty through the power of his spoken word. There is no way on this side of heaven we can overemphasize the importance of God's word in our lives and in the earth. The book of Hebrews says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were created by the word of God. Paul says, just like God spoke into darkness, so he has spoken into our hearts and given us the light of Christ. The new birth happens because of the word of God. God spoke into your heart through the message of of the gospel. The Bible says that the message of the gospel, the simple message that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, that's the gospel message. He said the simple message is foolishness to the Greeks, a stumbling block to the Jews, but it is it is the power of God to salvation for those who believe it. So, he has given us this basic word, the scripture that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the word God gave to us. When you speak that to somebody, the Holy Spirit, then just like he did in the beginning, the Holy Spirit who was hovering over the face of the waters, it means the Holy Spirit was moving over the darkness and over the chaos. God spoke a word, light be, and the Holy Spirit took the word of God and created light with it. Paul says the same thing happened when you and I were born again. Somebody shared the simple, uh, fundamental elementary level message with you and I. Someone did that. 
And when that person spoke that word, whether it's through a TV or through the radio or through a friend or through a preacher, the word came out of a person's mouth. The Holy Spirit took that word and put it into your heart and you believed and you were literally born again by the word of God. The Bible says that God sent his word and it healed them. Now, Satan knows this. That's why he has fought against the word of God in the Bible from the very beginning. And we're going to look at that today. But I want to drill into all of us this morning in this in this body of believers, the importance of the word of God. Just as God spoke in to the darkness and the chaos and brought order and beauty at the very beginning, he's still doing that today in the earth. Look at what Isaiah says about this. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So he's talking about the the uh, the science uh, and biology behind nature and how it works. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. So God is still speaking. You remember how Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that is proceeding, present tense, out of the mouth of God. Jesus said, you and I are supposed to be living on the words that are coming out of the mouth of God. That's our spiritual food. So God here is saying, listen, family in the earth, human beings whom I have created. Let me, let me talk to you from a natural standpoint. You know how rain comes down from heaven. Everybody say heaven. <laughs> comes down from heaven into the earth and it, and it brings forth a bud and gives you seed to sow and seed to eat. The same way that works in the natural laws, the exact, it, it operates the exact same way in spiritual laws. When I speak the word out of my mouth, look what it does. The word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. But God needs partnership in the earth. God needs somebody, an individual, a body of believers, somebody in the earth who believes everything I just spoke, everything I just preached. If you do, then you can Take the word of God and partner with heaven. Here's the way I see it. Gary, let's say you represent heaven and you get your Bible in your hand right there. You stand up right there. You, this is heaven right now in this present time. Heaven is right there. Gary is the perfect picture of heaven. Everybody take a look at what we have, have to look forward to. Can't wait to get there. Kathy gets all that right now, but we have to wait. Now, just a little bit of heaven on earth, isn't it, Kathy? Read the Bible out to me, would you? This is heaven holding out the word of God to us in the earth. The same word that created the worlds is being held out to us right now in the earth. And Satan is in the middle. Okay, uh. Okay, you get to be people on the earth. I will be Satan, all right? Well, I'm glad I thought that one through quickly. Would have been a rough afternoon at home. All right. You understand everything I just preached 
and you want to connect with heaven. So you're coming for the word of God and you want to connect with heaven. So you're coming this way to connect with the word of God. And me as the devil is no. If I was from the South where she is, I'd have my wife beat her T-shirt on underneath. But Okay, now you're coming for the Word of God. Come get the Word of God. Help me. You're my help me. Come on, you're going for the Word of God. It's not true. You can't have it. Stay away from it. All right? You're not, no, you can't have the Word of God. It's, not, it's the Word of... Ah! Now you've got to grab it. Grab the Word. There. And you, now, right here, heaven and earth... Are connected. This right here is what God wants us to be doing. This is how heaven releases its resources into the earth is through this connection right here. Can I hear an amen? amen. Thank you very much. You're fired. All right. And look what it says. Peter says this very thing in Second Peter chapter one. He says, "Grace." Everybody say, "Grace." How, how many of you want grace in your life and peace? Look at this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God. Well, how do you get the knowledge of God except through the word of God? Grace and peace is multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us All things, everybody say all things, that pertain to life and godliness, here it is again, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, now here comes the big whammy, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That's the Word of God. There's over 7,000 promises in the Word of God. He says, through these precious promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So the way that we escape the deterioration in the earth, which is uh, marriages that are in trouble, finances that are in trouble, physical bodies that are, that are ailing, uh, the corruption in the world, the poverty throughout the world, all the problems within the earth, it says that we escape these things when we grab a hold of the promises of God that are in the Bible, believe them, and it releases heaven into the earth. I hope you're catching this this morning because this is the way it works. This is not, the word of God is not being debated in heaven. Do you know that? Look what the scripture says in Psalm 119.89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Now that scripture would not have needed to be written if there wasn't an issue with the Word of God not being settled somewhere else. Why write that? Your Word is settled forever in heaven. Nobody's debating whether it's the Word of God or the Word of man, whether it's metaphorical or whether it's literal. Nobody's debating these things in heaven. There was one person that tried it once. Right? His name was Lucifer. And he... Tried to overthrow God, and God cast him to the earth with the third of the angels. The place where the word of God is being is under assault is in the earth and in our own minds and hearts. And the reason it is under assault is because Satan wants to disconnect heaven's goodness 
from earth's troubles. And not allow us to pull heaven into the earth. So I want to look at three ways this morning that Satan effectively causes us to disconnect from the word of God. Number one is to distort the word of God. This is the first thing Satan did in the garden and it worked. And so Adam and Eve were robbed from the goodness of God. Look what it says in Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? So here's the words of Satan attacking the words of God. And what does he do? He misquotes God. Does God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, is that what God said? Isn't 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 he just mean and nasty? He comes to this innocent creation of God. This woman who knew no evil. And the first thing he does is takes the word of God and twists it. And he's accusing God of being a withholder. He's going right at the very nature of God's goodness. Did God say that you're not allowed to eat of any of the trees of the garden? And she says, well, no, he just said of this particular tree. And so he twists it and then convinces her that God's word is not good and that she should go off of God's word, create her own philosophy and live on that. And it produced spiritual death, which Satan knew would happen. It's the same thing that happens to anybody else who gets off of God's word and lives on their own word and their own philosophy. The Bible says there is a way that actually seems right to man. It's logical. It's rational. He says, but the end thereof is what? death. So we've got to stay on the word of God. Now, he tried this with Jesus as well. If he doesn't try to misinterpret the word of God, he will try to misapply the word of God. Remember, Satan came against Jesus in the same exact three ways that he came against Adam. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. So he comes at Jesus and says, you know, hey, you're hungry. Why don't you go ahead and turn that that rock into bread? And Jesus responds with what? What are the first three words out of Jesus' mouth? It is written. And he quotes a verse that Moses wrote, a man that wrote a verse on a piece of paper. And Jesus, when Satan, the spirit being that got cast out of heaven, this angel, attacks Jesus spiritually, Jesus takes words that a man wrote on paper called the word of God and quoted them at Satan, and it hits Satan, and he backs off, and he comes around for the second temptation. Well, then I'll show you all the kingdoms of the world. Just bow down and worship me. What did Jesus say? The first three words. It is written. And he quotes another passage from the Old Testament. And so Satan comes at him again. And, and, and it's the pride of life to throw yourself down from here. For Now Satan tries to quote the word of God. Satan says, oh, you're going to use the word on me? Well, then I'm going to try to twist the word and misapply it just like it worked on Eve. I'm going to do it on Jesus now. Well, the word of God says to throw yourself down from the mountain. And Jesus responds with what? First three words. It is written. And it says the devil decided to leave him for a more opportune time. I love that. Like when Jesus is not going to be standing on the word of God. You know, in the armor of God, the only offensive weapon is what? The sword. And you know what it's called? 
The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Come on, family. We have got to be devouring the Word of God, praying the Word of God, speaking the Word of God, believing the Word of God. So what we do in the earth is we take the Word of God. Now, Satan does this to try to rob us of God's goodness because he knows the Word of God is the Word of God. He knows the Bible is the Word of God. And he knows it's the connection to heaven and earth and the goodness of God in the earth. So he does everything he can to separate us from it. What human beings do, not knowing this, is we try to change the Word of God when we don't like what it says. We reinterpret it so that it makes us feel better about our belief system. Now, let me give you one that's probably not an issue in this house, but it's an issue in in, uh, just the human race at large. Like the scripture, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Now, you have a four-year-old read that. What are they going to believe? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him, right? But as adults, we don't like that. That's too narrow. So we kick in with our wisdom and we say, now what he really meant there was, and if you listen to New Age philosophy, that Jesus is a way, that he has truth, and that if you have Christ consciousness, you will then experience this beautiful life, this nirvana. And when he says he's the only way to the Father, what he's really saying is, right, and we just go, and it just gets all confused. Just like Satan tried to do, or did do, tried and succeeded with Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God say, well, let me explain to you what he really, he didn't really mean that you would die if you ate the fruit, but that's exactly what happened. Right? (laughs) When we bump up against God's word and we don't like it, rather than reinterpreting it, we need to just humble ourselves and submit to it. Like when Jesus teaches on cannibalism. He's feeding them. They like that. He's healing them. They like that. He's talking about love. They like that. But then when he says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, they did not like that. And it says... Almost the thousands of followers, almost all of them, they heard this, eat my flesh and drink my blood. We don't understand that. And so instead of humbling themselves and saying, we don't get it, but I'm sure you'll explain it, you know, sometime, they turn and walk away from the Son of God because they didn't understand it. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you guys want to go too? And here's the right response. Peter basically said, John's paraphrased, I have no idea what you were just talking about. And I'm not, I'm not looking forward to taking a chunk out of your, your arm, but you have the words of eternal life. So where are we going to go? I don't understand what you just said, but where are we going to go? See, he understood and believed what Jesus said. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Why? Because his words are spirit, which he actually said in that passage. He said, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. His word created the worlds. So, of course, heaven and earth will pass away, but his word won't because he is the word. In fact, when you try to change the word, you'd be changing Jesus because the Bible says his name is the word of God. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, 
uh, Jehovah Witnesses because they operate out of their intellect. And if it doesn't make sense, if it's not rational, they don't believe it. I've had many conversations with Jehovah Witnesses and those that are up in the organization. And that's the bottom line. It needs to make sense or reject it. So what they did with their follower of their, their founder, who did not know the original languages, took he he read um, uh, he rewrote the Bible and quote, translated it, though he did not even know the original language. And he took like this particular passage and changed it from saying uh, and uh, the word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was and he inserted this this preposition, a God. That's why they won't worship him. Because they say you only worship one God, and Jesus is a God, but he's not the Father God. And you have a whole religion now that has been formed off a scripture they didn't like. So you change it. Now, some believe if you just believe the word as it's written, that you're narrow-minded. And yet Jesus says that if we would... Uh, abide in his word, we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. So being word minded is not narrow minded and it doesn't bind you. It actually sets you free. So I want to say rather than distorting the word of God, let's not distort it. Let's report it. Isaiah says this. Who has believed our report? Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And my Bible, I wrote down, I have. Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I wrote down to me. So number one, we don't want to distort the word of God. We want to report it. Number two, the way we disconnect from heaven is when we distrust the word of God. Is it truly the word of God or is it the word of man? Look what the Bible has to say about this. First, second Timothy, all scripture. Everybody say all scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction and instruction in righteousness. Look at what second Peter one says, most of all, you must understand this. No prophecy in the scriptures ever comes from the prophet's own interpretation. That translation or that word own interpretation means from human source. And he actually goes on and says that right here. No prophecy ever came from what a person wanted to say, but people led by the Holy Spirit spoke from the words of God. Psalm 19 says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So I, I want to ask you, do you want your soul converted and restored? Do you want to be wise? Do you want your heart to rejoice? Do you want your eyes to be opened? Then you need to understand that the word of the Lord is perfect. Now, you might say, yeah, but that's the Bible confirming itself. Okay, well, look at this. Literary critics who claim no faith in the truth of the Bible attest to its being the most completely reliable of any book transmitted from antiquity in terms of its actual remaining unchanged and dependability, dependably accurate. Look at this chart. You have it up there on the bulletin. I also put it in your, I put it in your bulletin because I want you to have it. It's also up here. I'm not going to go through all of these, obviously, but what this chart shows is books that were transmitted from antiquity, from historical uh, research. And you, the, here are some of the most famous writings in the history of, our, of the world. You start on the left-hand side, the, the person who did the work. When it was written is the next column. 
the earliest copy made of that actual writing, the time lapse between the actual writing of it and the first copy made, and how many copies there were. How many copies is important because they take the different copies, they compare them to one another, and make sure they don't contradict. So the ones that they have shown for, to have the most reliability and accuracy, the first one, there's a 1,300-year gap between the first writing and the first copy. And there's only eight copies of them. And yet they say these copies agree, therefore it is a valid work. Come all the way down to the uh, Livy's Roman history. He did a pervasive, comprehensive um, writing on the, on, on the history of Rome and the Roman culture. There was 900 years before his first actual writing and the first copy, and there were 20 copies, and we say that's legitimate. Look at the New Testament. There's only 30 to 310 years gap between the first of uh, the actual writings and the first copy. And there were 5,000 Greek copies, 10,000 Latin copies, and 9,300 other copies. That's from a historical viewpoint from people who do not even claim faith in the Bible. They say, but from a historical standpoint, it is the most accurate piece of literature we have on earth. Now, now you might say, well, I believe that. I believe the Word of God is absolutely accurate. Well, you may believe the Word of God is uh, authentic and has historical accuracy, but what about its present relevancy and power? You see, let's say that you're at a place where you're saying, I believe the Word of God is the Word of God. Yeah, but do you believe it today in your personal situation where the enemy is right in your face and you're not meeting your bills at the end of the month and your body is sick and your kids are going crazy and your spouse isn't acting right and you can't overcome sin addictions and, and what's happening in our nation? I mean, do you believe it? Well, look, the God, people of God, the Israelites, that God brought out of Egypt did all these incredible miracles and said, I have a land for you that I promised from the beginning of time. The book of Hebrews says that he had set this land aside from the beginning of time. It was his will for them. But when they came up against the land and there were these giants, they said, oh, no, this will never happen. And the prophets, Moses and Joshua and Caleb said, don't say that. God said he's going to give us this land. So I don't care how big the giants are. But it says, because they believed what they saw with the natural eye, rather than believing the words that came out of the mouth of God through Moses, that they did not get experience the goodness of God in their lifetime. Look what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. For indeed, the gospel, the word of God, was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, heaven and earth. Trying to make the connection, right? Like you and Gary were just illustrating. The word from heaven did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. It's another situation in the earth where the Israelites were about to be overwhelmed by the enemy. And the king calls all the people together and they fast and they seek the Lord and cry out to them saying, please help us. Second Chronicles 20. And it says the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the young men in the gathering, the praise gathering, right? And that uh, among those young men, the spirit of the Lord comes on them and, the, and speaks the word about their current situation. And he says, don't worry about it. 
I've heard you. This is my battle. What they did was they went to the Lord with a promise that God had given to Solomon earlier in the book where they built this temple. And God said, okay, if you pray to me from this temple, when people come up against you or pestilence comes into your midst or whatever, you call out to me from this temple and I promise you I will knock out the enemy for you. So now, a few years later, the enemy's coming at him. The king calls everybody together and reminds God of the word he gave to Solomon that was written down. It's in the Bible. It's a scripture. And so he quotes the word of God back to God. And God says, I heard that. The Spirit of the Lord comes on a prophet saying, I will take care of this for you. You just go out and praise me. So they send out the praisers, and then God comes in and wipes them out. And look what the prophet said right before they sent the praisers out. Second Chronicles 20, 20. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, which includes the whole word of God, and you shall prosper. How important is the word of God? This is why Jesus said this. And I've only got a couple more minutes. I'm going to wrap this up. Jesus said this. The whole kingdom of God operates like this. Mark chapter 4. And he literally said this. If you do not understand this parable, how are you going to understand all the parables? Then he says, the sower sows the word. And Satan comes immediately to do what? Take the word. Satan knows the power of the word of God. So Jesus tells this whole parable about how the sower sows the word like I am right now. And some of you in your mind, you're fighting what I'm teaching right now. The sower sows the word. Satan comes immediately. What? To attack the person? No, to attack the word. This is good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And then instead of... Instead of criticizing the authenticity of the word, Jesus talks about the condition of the person receiving the word of God. Some have shallow ground, some have stony ground, some have good ground. The word is not the issue. It's our hearts that are the issue. So he says, Satan comes with persecution, affliction, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. Those are the five attacks Satan will launch into your life. To try to get you off the word of God. But he says there's one group of people who have good hearts that will receive the word when it's preached and they will endure the attack. You hear a sermon on healing, bam, you get sick. You hear the word on tithing, bam, you get hit, you get laid off, you get fired, whatever it might be. When you hear the word, Satan comes immediately with persecution, affliction, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, which our nation is guilty of and the lust of other things, which we're guilty of. Why? Because it takes us off the word of God. So the word of God cannot bring forth in bud like Isaiah said it would. Thank you. So some of you just quit too soon. Believe in the word of God. So let's not distrust it. Let's depend on it. And finally, the last thing I want to say is if people don't distort the word of God or distrust the word of God, they just flat out dismiss the word of God. And we have done this in our government, in our nation. We're doing it in our families, in our nation. And I hate to have to say this, but we're also doing it in our churches in this nation. Look what it says uh, in Judges seventeen six. In those days, there was no king in Israel. He was responsible to make sure the word of God was being um, honored in, the, in, in his uh, country. 
In those days, there was no king in Israel. So everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this is what I'm going to say about a democracy. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. Because just because you get the majority of the people voting in a certain way doesn't mean that that's God's way. Right? I mean, we, we have, we're selfish. We want our things the way we want our things. Let's get as many people as we can to agree with us. Not God, us. And if we can get as many, more people on our side, then we can get what we want. Or if we can't, we can just have activist judges who overturn the will of the people. Either way, God is not considered. So what happens is, everyone, when you do not have absolute truth, who gets to make up right and wrong? Really, come on. How can we do this without God being the absolute authority? If there's no absolute truth, then who are you to tell me? Who are you to tell me? That's just humanism. That's just pride. How dare you tell me? Right? Who are you? Well, you're right. I don't have a right to tell you. You don't have a right to tell me. So I'm going to do what I want. You do what you want. But we can't both have these conflicting values. I know what. Let's vote. Let's get more people on my side than on your side. Then I get what I want and you lose. Rather than all of us coming to God and saying, you created the heavens and the earth. You rule. And we bow to your word. And you get what you want in the earth. And by the way, it'll always be much better than what we want. Because God is good. Amen? So here the government we see in those days. There was no king in Israel. They did what was right in their own eyes. Here's the church. Book of Ezekiel. Her priests have, have violated my law and profaned my holy things. This would be me and Mark and Gary and other leaders in the earth. Spiritual leaders, pastors. They have, dis- they have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. Yes, there is morality and there is immorality. And this is one church that would not be ashamed or afraid to say what is right and wrong, what is holy and unholy. You know why? Because we love you guys. You don't love somebody if you won't tell them the truth. You just want to be liked. The only hope the world has is to be told the truth. Like Peter said, in Jerusalem, you guys killed Jesus and you're in a lot of trouble. And the Holy Spirit took those words and pierced their heart and they, it was cut to, they were cut to the heart. You have to have a sharp blade to cut. Truth cuts. But it's, the reason it cuts is it cuts through unbelief and bad theology and cuts to the core of men. And they said, what must we do? A few minutes ago, they were right in their own eyes until the Word of God came through a preacher. Uncompromised Word of God. Separating the holy from the unholy. The clean from the unclean. The truth from the air. Some people will say, ah, and they'll rage at you and martyr you like they did Stephen. Other people will cut him to the heart and they'll say, what must we do? And Peter says, repent. Be forgiven of your sins. Receive the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 did and got saved and the church was birthed off the Word of God. Amen? I know I'm shouting, but I'm a little excited. And then finally, with the family, God told Moses, teach the word of God to your children night and day. Write it on your eyelids. Put it on your fence post. Put it over your door. Talk to them about it when you're walking. Talk to them about it when you're sleeping. Talk to them about it when you're sitting. God told Moses, get the word of God into your children. And what have we done in our nation? We've removed the word of God from our government. We've removed the word of God from our family and our home. How much time do you spend with your children in the word of God? And we've moved the word of God from churches. Redefining the word. Rather than just let it say what it's going to say and let people be offended because it's our only hope of getting saved. 
And so I say, rather than removing or dismissing the Word of God from our culture, we need to declare the Word of God. Look what Jesus said. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak it in the light. And what you hear in the air, preach it on the housetops. But I'm going to say not a sword against people, but a prophetic word for people. So I want to close today with this. If you have been a person that has distorted the word of God, where you have just decided that you are going to get it to say what you want it to say because it makes you feel better about your belief system, or if you're a person who has distrusted the word of God, you, you believe it just really is the word of man, not the word of God, which is an insult to God. Or you believe that you've come to, you come to places where you just don't believe the word of God for your current situation. Or you really have just dismissed the word of God from your life. I'm going to ask if you just stand where you are and let's come to God together. And let's submit ourselves to him and humble ourselves and say, God, we are just going to say that your word is your word. And I want to pray with you as well that his word would once again be honored in the White House, in God's house, and in your house. So if that's you, would you stand with me if you're willing to honor the word with me before God in our lives, in this nation, and in our church? Will you stand with me? This is for everybody. You may be standing right now because you have distorted the word of God, or you've dismiss the word of God, or you've distrusted the word of God. You also may be standing because you're standing for the word of God and saying, we are going to be a people that believe the word of God no matter what, so that heaven can invade earth. All right, let's lift our hands together to God. Father, you have said very clearly When your mom and your brothers and sisters came to a church meeting where you were teaching and they said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. You said, who are my mothers and brothers? But they they hear the word of God and do it. You define your family as those who believe your word and live it out. Lord, in this house right now, we exalt the word of God, the Bible. We declare that it is your word. When we come up against passages we don't like, we promise right now we will humble ourselves and let you teach us. Father, we pray for our White House, whoever becomes president. God, we pray that they would honor the word of God in this nation, Lord. All of us can see that neither one of the men that are being, uh, that, that might possibly be the president, we can see that both of them have serious issues in this regard. So we pray for whoever becomes president, Father, that you would give them deep conviction about the word of God. They'd operate in the fear of the Lord. Father, we pray for the church, the big C church and the earth. We pray that your pastors and prophets and evangelists and teachers would honor the Word of God and not be afraid of people. And Father, in our own homes, our houses, and our lives, we commit to honoring Your Word. We commit to teaching our children the Bible unapologetically. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that You take the Word that is preached and spoken and prayed and create heaven on earth. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.